0: really easy way to kind of test for yeah this is this is sort of the unthinkable unimaginable happening to us right now how scrappy are you being in the midst of all of this
1: welcome to growth unscripted the badass professionals the real questions The truth behind how top execs got to where they are and how you can follow in their footsteps. Now, here's your host, Betts CEO and founder, Carolyn Betts.
2: Welcome back to Growth Unscripted. I am Carolyn Betts Fleming, and we have Julie Harris here today with us, who is the Vice President of Global Key Accounts at Flexport. Uh, Julie, thank you for, for joining me today.
0: It's great to be here, although, you know, everything is virtual these days, but it's nice to see your face and see that things are going well and your move has gone smoothly. So... San Francisco misses you, but I'm sure uh, Austin's come out on top. Well,
2: thank you. So, you know, obviously, you and I have known each other for quite a few years, and, and we met when you actually moved to San Francisco. So, growth unscripted, and what we're talking about here is looking at people that have come very far in their careers, and really understanding how they got there, and the the challenges that people have faced, as well as the wins along the ways to get along the way to get to where they are today. And so very early on in your career, uh, you know, you have, uh, I believe it's a triple MBA from London, Colombia, and China. Then your first job after that was working in Asia. And so I, I think myself and everyone else would love to hear about your experience coming out of MBA and immediately diving into international business.
0: Yeah, so I actually did an executive MBA while I was living in in Shanghai. So um, it was a program with University of Hong Kong. I did that in tandem with um, in this role that I had at a company. It's, it's called yeah. West Rock. Now, when I worked there, it was West Faco. It's one of the largest packaging companies in the world very unsexy industry which you'll find that's a theme kind of woven through my entire career is <laughs> the the more kind of industrial and unsexy the more interesting I tend to fi- to find them so i was you know i did my my executive mba while i was living abroad Um, What took me to China, I studied abroad there when I was in, in college, I went to a small liberal arts school in Virginia, it's called Washington and Lee, it's, you know, about 2000 people really, really small for an undergrad. And in my third year, um, I had been taking Chinese, I just sort of decided on a whim to, to move to China and do a semester abroad. And that obviously really pushed me out of my comfort zone. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I loved my my undergraduate experience, but um, it was pretty monochromatic in some ways and, and predictable. And and so throwing myself into a city of like 24 million people when I was, uh, I guess I was 20 at the time. It was a really pivotal moment. And so I went, I studied abroad there, and then actually decided to move back to China after college. So I I got an offer to do investment banking at Goldman. To my parents' chagrin, I was like, no, I'm just going to go to China and figure out some other job making, you know, a 10th as much money, but I, I want the experience. And so I ended up, you know, I lived in Shanghai for about eight years and uh, had, you know, a lot of adventures. It was a really sort of interesting uh, interesting place to, to kind of come into my career just because, you know, not only are you learning all these new um, new skills when you're in your 20s and you're having your first kind of roles and, and jobs out of school, but you're having to navigate those skills in a completely different cultural environment. Uh, it was it was really really fun. You know, I'd say I, I definitely optimized my my 20s in that part of my career for just adventure, frankly, and like trying completely new things. So. Uh, the last role I had before making the jump to San Francisco was leading a a team of sellers and account managers at this, you know, one of the largest packaging companies in the world. So we were selling actually a fairly technical product. It doesn't sound technical, but, um, you know, you end up talking about sort of how quickly things can get through the machines, and you know how do you optimize uh, all all these different aspects of um, even like making a Starbucks cup. Starbucks was one of our clients, so we were selling into the apples, Unilever, Starbucks, McDonald's of the world. So huge budgets that we were talking about, but this incredibly sort of mundane product on paper. Uh, and so that's the last role that I had. And, and like I said, I, I was there as I was, um, sort of doing my executive MBA. And I think it was nice to, one thing that was great about an MBA, an executive MBA is you get to sort of put all these theories you're learning about into practice immediately. And I really appreciated that. Um, but the other thing it, it did is force me to take a step back and think like what, what really gets me excited what's the next challenge that I want after eight years in Asia, I was ready for, you know, a new place and come back to the U S you know, I thought a lot about just risk-taking and how did I ensure that this theme of risk that had sort of permeated my career to date, how did I continue to, to keep up with that as I transitioned back to the U S to something that felt a little bit more stable. And, and for me, what seemed sort of most obvious was to try a new industry and, and that's why I ended up, um, you know, deciding I wanted to pursue something in tech. And, you know, luckily I found Bet's Recruiting and, you know, you were kind enough to, to introduce me to Flexport. The Asia piece was a good way to just constantly remind myself how to step out of my comfort zone. And then I was fortunate enough to meet you and your team and try to figure out where did I want to be sort of within the world of technology that I could leverage some of those skills that I learned um, abroad.
2: And before we dive into Flexport, we're obviously going to do that today because it's been a really great journey for you there. You know, I, I would love to hear a little bit more about doing business in Asia as a you know white woman, right? You, you yeah. look different. I feel, um and I've never done business in Asia, but my, my guess is that it's, you know, there's women in business, but it's also a lot of men Um uh, Chinese. Yeah. You, you knew Chinese, but it was not your first language. And that just seems like, like all of those things, uh, you know, language yeah. barrier, cultural barrier. What did you learn? What were, you know, any really amazing stories of um, that you have
0: from your experience there that you want to share? Yeah, there, there are a couple of things. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I think being a woman it's a lot more like men to men doing business, uh, but but there there are a lot of especially in places like Taiwan, actually parts of China. You know, there are a lot of businesses that are run by women. I you know I think the the bigger objection to overcome was my age because at that point I was in my late twenties. A lot of Asian cultures really revere maturity, and you know it's it's pretty hierarchical and there's a lot of respect for for generations and and how you have kind of advanced that knowledge over time and so the first thing and I and I, I want to I do want to dig into this topic more later but I think the first thing for me that became obvious is if I didn't become a somewhat technical expert on the product you know if I didn't really really know my stuff then you get laughed out of the room immediately so diving in head first and studying Almost on like kind of like a scholarly, in a scholarly, like very, very detailed way, like the, the industry I was going into. That was sort of the most disarming thing I could do. Obviously, speaking Chinese helped a bit, because that's a bit disarming as well as, you know, they you walk in and they think you don't, they don't you don't speak the language, and then people start talking about you. And when you start piping up in, in Chinese, that that was helpful. And then, you know, the other thing, which I think is yeah, this is a given, but um, relationships—the the word in, in Chinese for that is guanxi—and it it just means relationship. But that is so; it's at the very core of every business dealing in in China and definitely throughout Asia. So, a a big part of breaking individuals down that might have sort of preconceived notions about you was was just like the the four hour you know, wine fueled dinners (laughs) and just getting (laughs) to know them and asking about their families and remembering those things. And then every time you go back to Manila or Bangkok or Jakarta, and you see that person, you know, a knowing, knowing their product and their industry and the thing that has built maybe their entire family business for them, like being a, a domain expert on that is, is obviously one thing, but then having them really respect you and and understand you as a person that breaks down a lot of barriers. So I know that that's, we talk about the relationships as being important in, in sales. I think it's sort of to a next level there and there's lots of sales that are done against kind of better judgment because you know you have that relationship with that person or you know you went to grade school with them 40 years ago and you just want to give them your business. So I think that taught me a, a good lesson early on about like the, the you know really the importance of entertaining your clients and and having them like you just as a as a person.
2: And one thing I've found especially with the the younger generation and, and what we've really been embracing as leaders is the the room for growth and forgiveness and, you know, understanding that not everyone walks into every room knowing things and that you learn a lot as you go along. And I think that the, the, there was not a lot of room for you to make mistakes, right? You had to walk into that room knowing your stuff ahead of time. There was not a big opportunity for you to learn on the job necessarily. Although, you know, I, I imagine that if you did make mistakes, I'm sure you did, like we all do along the way, that those relationships really, you know, helped. Yeah, go
0: ahead. (laughs) I think that's that's a great, you know what, those two things complement each other, right? And meaning, you know, if you don't have 20 years of experience and you don't know something inside and out, if you are starting to build a relationship with your client, and they understand you on a human level. They're actually a lot more willing to forgive, um, or to even sort of overlook when that, that you might not have all that experience. And I've I've even had I've had clients here. You know, when we can talk about our Flexport experience. For me, I'm very comfortable picking up the phone and owning it when when something goes wrong with a client, or you know, I know how important it is to have those relationships and that, that frankly, gives you a little bit of a buffer when things don't go perfectly. It's not, it's not inherent these days that like, if you're giving somebody bad news that, that you should actually, you have kind of have to pick up the phone because the relationship is, is so important. And people want to know that you can empathize with what that does to their business. And so when you don't have a perfect understanding or, or 20 years of tenure, the relationship is, is you really do have to to lean heavily on that. Well, yeah. And I, I think in any line of business, I think they very
2: rarely go perfectly, right? Yeah,
0: never, <laughs> never, I mean, from my experience.
2: <laughs> I, I still, oh, God, it took me 10 years of running this company before I got comfortable being uncomfortable and understanding that, the expectation is that things are not going to go, you know, that we're going to do our absolute best, and that we're, um, yeah. especially in dealing with, you know, startups and people and all of the various different things that can happen along the way. That the, you know, I think the biggest, most important thing is the desire to be as close to perfect as possible, and if it's not, making it right and fixing it as you go along, and and really being in the journey together. So, um, you know, I think it's a really interesting perspective so you moved to San Francisco uh, from Asia why did you decide to make that move when you did
0: Yeah so that's a great question I had been in Shanghai about eight years I about a year before leaving I met my now husband uh, he is from Barcelona you've met you've met Hugo and it's funny on our first date. You know, I said to him, Hey, I think I'm, you know, nice to meet you, but I think I'm getting ready to, to leave China. I'm you know, eight years is just felt like enough time, frankly. Yeah. Um I, I I wanted to just Take a leap and and try something new. I also just wanted to be a little bit closer to family. I'm an only child, so there's a little bit of pressure there. But but it just felt like you know I've done some amazing things here in Asia. I of course haven't done everything that I would would ever want to do, but that that never happens, right? And so, but interestingly enough, he said, "Hey, I, I'm I'm in the same boat." And and he had lived in the U.S. before, and he's in biotech, so he wanted to to move to the U.S. to start this this biotech company that was at that point just sort of like a seed in the back of his mind and it's funny you know our first date he said I think I'm thinking about moving to Miami and I was like we'll see about that I mean I do not have the skin tone for for that type of sun exposure <laughs> I was like we'll talk about it and as we were um you know, as we got more serious, and you know it was clear that he really wanted to start his business, I was thinking about TAC. I, I ended up pulling up one of these funding maps that McKinsey does for different industries, and there's a giant circle over Boston and San Francisco. And I said, you know, if, if we're going to do this, we need to do the right thing for you to launch, you know, your next venture. Uh, and it happened to be, which I was really thankful for this. It happened to be the year of the polar vortex and Boston had like 10 feet of snow on the ground (laughs) for four months. And so my husband was like, I don't think Boston's right. I was like, great. It's San Francisco. And I actually had a lot, you know, interestingly, there are a lot of people that live here that lived in Shanghai. So we had a pretty big network, you know, right. Kind of from day one, which was nice as we're moving to a new continent together, so, you know, that that ticked the box of um, putting me in the right place for, for trying to transition into tech for my husband, for biotech. You know, Silicon Valley can be a little bit scary, but because I think it's, you know, it's so transient that people are really warm and welcoming. And, you know, I, I spent really about six weeks just getting coffee with different people and learning about the industry. What size company did I want to go to? How much risk did I want to sign up for? Um, and and that helped me obviously stumble ac- across Flexport and and you guys. Um, so it was it was a really nice period of of time just to get oriented. Having run bets for you know eleven years now,
2: one of the interesting dynamics that I find with a lot of our clients is they really index heavily on having experience in technology. And while you were selling, you know, and managing, leading a team globally prior to moving to San Francisco, that was and you know, having had so much success, the lack of technology seemed to be
0: a barrier for you. It definitely was. Silicon Valley is pretty transient. It's not always welcoming, right? And and, and so I got here and started, you know, here I was, I had my MBA, I'd led a team, I spoke Chinese, I had this international experience and you, know, you are still finding that I was going to get crossed off the list or I was getting crossed off the list pretty early on because like, yeah, but you've never sold SaaS before. You'll probably remember this. Even when I was talking to Flexport, they, you know, I had a great initial conversation with our CRO Ben Braberman, and, and I clicked with a couple of people. And then I heard that they had just basically instituted this rule that you either had to have SaaS experience or logistics experience. And I had neither. Luckily, they made an exception for me. <laughs> um, but you have to sort of focus on all the, the things that you do have and how adaptable you are and how curious you are. And especially after being here five years now, none of these businesses are that hard to learn if you've got the right personality, right? And so I think it's it's actually to our detriment as, as sales leaders to um, index too heavily towards that because you end up with a team that's not very diverse, you know, I mean, you know that a lot of the profiles that are placed in these roles, they end up after a while all kind of looking and sounding the same, and that's not great for an organization. So I, I'm lucky that I was persuasive enough to get them to go out on a limb, and and the trade off there was that you know I did take a step back in my career. I went from you know managing a albeit small team, um, but but going into, I think they tricked me and told me I was going to be sort of an, an enterprise seller. But back then we were, those deals we were closing did not sniff of enterprise. They, they were much more what we'd call sort of mid-market. I mean, today by Flexport standards, they would be SMB deals, um, but you know, I'm thankful that they they went out on a limb, and and they should be thankful that I was willing to, to 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 you know, in the name of trying something new. Um, just just yeah, take take a step back.
2: Now, you, you mentioned that you were able to <laughs> persuade them. Do you remember what it was that you did or said that was able to, uh, you know, change their mind from, hey, this person's great, but doesn't have that SaaS background that we are over-indexing on right now to, yep, we're going to offer her a job and, and she's going to be a part of our initial, you know, almost, you know, yeah, you know, and we can talk more about this later, but I think you, you said you were employee number 47, which is, you know, I how many people are at Flexport now? Yeah. Or about 2,000 people right so one of the like initial go-to-market people on the team yeah. you know wh- what happened
0: so I was per you know I was persistent which I think any good salesperson is so I was you know the other day I ended up um, actually pulling up old emails between me and, and Ryan Peterson who is our CEO that I was sending him while I was was interviewing and of course it's very different when when a company is 45 people or whatever to be sending the email the CEO personal emails and sort of begging for a job but um you know I was sort of hitting them from all angles I was talking to um to people that were already AEs at the company about their experience and how did they succeed and uh, just, just trying to learn as much as possible. So it's probably persistent to the point of annoyance, but that's okay. Uh, and then my my resume was still fairly impressive, and in, in terms of having this international experience, the the book of business that I was managing when I came into Flexport was something like forty million dollars a year, which when you're, a, you know, no matter how you carve that up, that's a decent sized book of business. And and so I think you know, they, they started weighing the fact that it was about sort of prioritization. How do you bring in new business? I obviously had to learn. It's not like I was born knowing the packaging industry. I had to learn a somewhat technical industry um, from the ground up when I was there. And I think those characteristics and those, those traits outweighed the, the, the lack of knowing how to close a SaaS sale, which Flexport isn't even a traditional SaaS sale. So maybe taking a step back and thinking like, okay, this isn't what she's been doing is actually maybe more aligned with the type of sale that we have than um, tying the SaaS roll up with a bow. So yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate that they were willing to, to take me on. You mentioned that there was a,
2: a humbling experience there where, you know, you went from leading a team to an individual contributor role. And, you know, I'd love to hear about, first of all, why, why you ultimately made that decision and what that journey looked like personally and professionally for you.
0: So the, the great questions, I think why I made that decision, um, you know, I, I, when I think about people in my career that I've looked up to that have been really successful, you know, they they do have that kind of deep technical skill set, like they've taken the time to really learn the product inside and out, and they're genuinely interested in it. And so I have to say, I, I kind of tricked myself. You know, I, I focused on the fact that I, I came into Flexport knowing very little about our industry. So we are in the, the shipping and kind of you know international trade. Uh, we do freight forwarding. I had a very, very, I'd say I had not even a 101 level understanding. You know, I knew some acronyms, it was something we tangentially dealt with uh, in the packaging business I was in. But but I told myself, you know, the best way to learn something is sort of learn it from the ground up. And doing this role will give me the space to become a true expert on these. You know, like take the time to really really dig in and learn how do these shipments move end to end. How does it? How does that integrate with the back end of our systems? How does the technology get built? You know, it's, it's, it's never a bad thing to be able to have room to do that. And, it, and at some point you get, you know, you get to a point in your career where it's really, really tough to kind of, I wouldn't say hit the pause button, but to, to take the luxury, like have that luxury of time to really, really dig in and learn something. So I convinced myself that, you know, the, the best way to, to learn it was to be like on the ground you know, in the middle of the action. And I was right. You know, I've I've seen that. And I still to this day, I think one of the reasons I've been able to have so many different roles at Flexport. And and, and frankly, the ascension that I've had is because. You know, I, I've gained a lot of credibility not just with our clients because I know the you know I have a pretty good technical understanding of this of the the product. And when I say product, that obviously like kind of encapsulates the Flexport service as well. but credibility internally because I rolled up my sleeves and got my hands dirty and closed those deals myself. and it you know when you start to be a first line manager and then second line manager, you know now I'm third or fourth, whatever it is, whenever i'm talking to someone that's on the ground working those deals themselves and i say you know have you tried it this way there's so much additional credibility because you know i still a couple times a year decide i want to i want to own a deal myself you know that is i love doing that and i get a ton of energy you know you you know when you do something you know in in your career that that just like pumps your energy levels up. And I'm sure you have this. Like you have certain parts of your role that you're just like gosh, this is really an energy driver for me. This is the kind of thing that just gives me so much excitement. Sales is that way for me. You know, and obviously my my role has evolved significantly beyond just just sales. It's it's certainly helped me that I know what it takes to close a deal at Flexport because I've closed a lot of the deals at Flexport myself. Um, so I'm you know I, I I griped about it. I'm sure Ben Braberman'll tell you I you know it, it wasn't always smooth sailing in the early days because I was like, come on I, you know I want to go to the next thing but but really getting getting my own book of business under my belt hitting quota and or, you know obviously exceeding quota and um, excelling at that before moving to the next thing it, it was the right move for me and I, I, you know I'm happy I did it
2: yeah. The, you know, I, I, think that one thing that you mentioned was the IC to man, management transition. And, and you, yes, you had managed people at the former company. However, you had Netflex for it. And when I look at people that, you know, want to go into management, I think that one of the things that the convers the things that come into my mind are, you know, well, why do you want to be in management, right? Is it because you consider that a promotion? Is it because you really love to mentor, lead, and manage people? Because those are two totally different things, right? And totally, and you yeah. know, there's plenty of ways to grow your career in sales as an individual contributing person. Uh, however, when you look at that more traditional growth, is through leadership. However, you know, some of the best sellers aren't the best leaders, and totally. As I don't know if you and I have this in common, but one of my challenges was that, you know, when I started bets, I had never led, I'd never managed a single person before. I was an individual contributing sales rep and I had to learn management by a lot of trial and error. And I still make mistakes on a daily basis of doing and saying things that just piss people off. And, you know, I try (laughs) not to do that, obviously, but um, You know, like, I'd love to hear from you what that transition looked like. And it sounds like you still love having your hand in doing deals.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned that at first it was sort of almost us selling in tandem. You know, I was working deals with the account executives. We were sort of like in the trenches together. And and to this day, that happens. Like, there's, there's some deals we're working on right now where I'm kind of on every sort of client strategy and planning call with the AEs. So it started with you know really building that the trust and rapport of like hey I I'm, I'm I'm actually still in your shoes in some ways you know it's not that I've been in your shoes before like I know what it takes to close these deals I know how hard and and frustrating this role can be I, you know I as we started to move up market at Flexport I think for me I do love mentoring and leading a team, the reason that I I wanted to go from being an IC to leading the team is I love the strategy aspect and sort of molding the vision of an entire part of an organization. Like that is what, in addition to to selling and, you know, I'm a very social creature, so I love being around my team, but getting to say, hey, I'm going to, you know, actually together, we're going to shape this entire uh, mission within the mission of Flexport. So,
2: you know, one last thing that I I wanted to talk about, and I I think that this is something that has come up. Do you hire people with domain experience? Do you hire people that have done this exact same thing before? Or do you look for other characteristics? And, you know, I think you and I have a similar thesis on there might not be the exact right profile, but there are certain characteristics that you can look for in people that will, you know, and, and I think that Characteristics that that you and I <laughs> both have, if we want to tune our own horns, and and one <laughs> of the things that came up was, you know, was grit and uh, curiosity, creativity, etc. From your own personal experience, and also when you're looking at building your team, fill me in on on what what this looks like for you.
0: So I I say grit is probably the number one thing i i look for and test for and the reason for that you know especially given the types of deals that that we're working on in in enterprise or key accounts you know these big hairy deals at market there is so much rejection. I mean, the, uh, uh, the buyer persona that we're talking to is often someone who's been in the role for twenty years, or maybe not that specific role, but they've been at the company twenty years. They work their way up. They're not necessarily willing to embrace risk, and Flexport is seen as the new, you know, the new kid on the black, the new entrance. And so, you have to be willing to get punched in the face nine times out of ten, and get up the next morning, put a smile on, pretend everything is great in the world and be really excited to get back out there. Um, I was talking to someone who's a very, very high performer that's at Flexport that that is on my team. She, She was explaining, I think she's spot on that it's very hard to get humans to change their mind. Like we tend to sort of get stuck in our ways and what does change people's mind is that extra email or that extra phone call or that, you know, somebody going above and beyond with a creative option. And those are hard things to do when you've already been rejected a lot. And, and so I think you have to just be, be willing to power through it and take it a step further to be successful. Um, Experiencing rejection is just important in order to, to be able to grow and, and, you know it's it's a tr- something i see especially out here when i interview people and i'm talking about san francisco is this sort of this expectation that just every 6 months you're going to get a new promotion and you're going to just immediately move into your next role and then you're just going to slam dunk your quota and then move on to the next thing and nothing about that feels very exciting or interesting to me. Like people have to have had personal setbacks to to know how to find a really creative outlet to overcome those. COVID's actually a great, you know, actually <laughs> it's not a great environment, but it, I think for for interviewing it is because when you ask people, you know, what has it been like, you know, selling or doing your role during COVID, I think it kind of bifurcates very quickly the the mental attitude of the person you're talking to. And I, half people will tell me that, well, you know, I really need my company to adjust my quota down because this, you know, it's just been so bad for business and then the the diamonds and the rough for people that say like i have found so many interesting opportunities out of this everyone is taking a look at who their providers are they're rethinking relationships it's not business as usual anymore and so it's it's actually a really easy way to kind of test for yeah this is this is sort of the unthinkable unimaginable happening to happening to us right now how scrappy are you being in the midst of all of this and definitely you know even the, the, the last trips i was taking before yeah i still traveled a lot once my son was born and i'm always like rushing through airports trying to change in airport bathrooms you know i'm the crazy lady with the curling iron like trying to trying to you know in an airport bathroom like trying to get ready before going to the next meeting and I- you know, I, I, finding people that are sort of not just willing to kind of go to crazy lengths to get the job done, but they they enjoy that part of it. I think that's that's what you're testing for.
2: Yeah, I, I, the COVID example is great. Hearing how people have embraced uh, adversity and, you know, things changing on a dime and, and those that powered through and saw a lot of success, you know, really are going to be able to separate themselves from uh, the people that. Feel like
0: victims. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Julie, thank you so much for joining me today. I just, you know, it's so fun to really dig in because obviously I've heard bits and pieces of your story along the way, but to really take the time and, and dig into how you got so far in your career and um, what that journey looked like has been really cool to to explore. So thank you for taking the time.
0: Thanks so much. It was great to catch up. And, you know, I have to obviously give a little plug for, for Bets Recruiting since you guys are the ones that, that landed me here at Flexport. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been a, a very fun ride and more, li- more like a roller coaster than, than anything else. But that's what it's all about, right? Absolutely.
1: <music> Growth Unscripted is powered by Bets. From fully customizable end-to-end recruiting services to a platform featuring 15,000 vetted job-seeking professionals, Betts connects the most extraordinary go-to-market talent with the most innovative companies in the world. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes with badass executives and check us out at BettsRecruiting.com for more information on how we build companies.